Welcome to the Dead Artists Society. When we were filming it, we knew that the rising violence against Asian Americans in this country was going to be an important topic to discuss with this specific guest that you're about to meet. This was before the mass shooting of eight Asian Americans at a massage parlor in Georgia by a white male. While this wasn't the start of anti-Asian racism and violence in this country, it certainly brought the topic to national attention in a new way. While you're listening to this episode, I hope that you'll think about the recurring theme of invisibility and ignorance towards Asian racism in this country and the methods that we've used to ignore it. I hope you'll think of how the topics we discuss contributed to something unthinkable only a few weeks later. I hope you'll understand the levity and the tone sometimes to reflect the moment that we were in. Certainly, if we had filmed this after that horrible day, the tone would have been different. But I think that's an example of how even on this show, we sometimes perpetuate the issues we're trying to solve and draw attention to. Anti-Asian racism has always existed in this country. The only difference is now, more people are interested in seeing it. It's our responsibility to never become disinterested again. It honestly feels like too little too late, but it's all we can do to move forward and do better. And it's our obligation too. it would be so great to bring Amy on to kind of talk about a lot of the issues that we've had a lot of conversations about over the years and been part of about Asian representation in theater and just kind of like your experience being an artist and being an Asian artist and all of the different things that that means. So tell us about your newest project. I actually just got to, I just got off a Zoom meeting where I was in partnership. Um, this group I'm with called uh, Papa, Philly Asian Performing Artists, luckily the name is pretty self-explanatory, was um, partnering with Asian American Theater Artists of Boston, ATAP, and we we're doing like a sort of joint um, month collaboration. And I got to lead a creative writing workshop um, using like various social media. So for any, any playwrights, writers, creatives, there's uh, a lot of really interesting sites and apps you can use to make your make your content and you just finished up with the play that you did the virtual play that you did it was actually presented as a radio play it's called pandemic by a wonderful playwright named katie lou who is i believe an 11th grader um and it was a multi-generational story about um asian american racism throughout the u.s um so something that i definitely could not write when i was in 11th grade um let alone even really uh, surmise my feelings properly on it right now. The fact that she's 17 years old is so crazy and writing about things that, you know, it was a lot about the Chinese Exclusion Act. For anybody who doesn't know, the Chinese Exclusion Act was like basically um, the U.S. limiting like immigrants in from Asian countries um, and blaming a lot, scapegoating a lot of issues that were going on with like the like 
workers force and, and jobs being available on Asian Americans, like even though they made up like a minuscule mm-hmm. percentage of the population at that point. Um, so for her to write about that and for it to turn into like this virtual representation that you said was like multi-generational and like, that's just so beautiful. We are recording it during kind of like the peak of a lot of the violence against Asian and Asian Americans mm-hmm. in the United States. So it was really nice to be able to um, be able to surround myself with uh, people who at least really understood um, what was going on. But it was really fun. I miss it. I hope someone hires me again very soon. It's so great that you've been able to like work during this pandemic too, because I know for so many people that's just been like such a challenge trying to transition to virtual and stuff. But you've also been transitioning to virtual with your um, princess character <laughs> business, which I absolutely love. Yes, I have. Um, I, I don't know why I decided to start a business um in this year but i have um primarily featuring um bipoc um performers as various you know fairy tale storybook fictional characters that i can't name or else um the mouth will come sue me um but just to show um you know kids and adults alike that um you know they they deserve to be represented i have so many friends who are um so many BIPOC friends who are in the industry and they have a lot of really wonderful moments with not just kids, adults, where like adults, like parents of the birthday kid have come up to them crying and being like, I literally never saw, like say they're dressed up as Princess Tiana. They're like, I literally never had a princess like you when I was little, Mm -hmm. but it's still magical to them as an adult. So representation. Amy has been probably the one person I have always seen putting up a good fight and trying to like stand up for representation when like nobody else has I think you're a complete badass I was you know trying to do a lot of research because I realized I knew absolutely nothing about Asian American theater history except for like one day in class that was very briefly touched on like kabuki and that was it and I remember that day back on to you know whatever other white guy was (laughs) the restoration era or whatever we were learning about I also remember that day in the first section of theater history where we had to watch that um video of no theater I believe it was Mm -hmm. that was really cool and then it was like anyway um here's uh Antigone (laughs) and it's just so interesting because like you would think that they would be like, oh my gosh, like, look at, here's this whole other side of theater that you know nothing about. Like, let's spend some time learning about it and seeing what, like, inspiration we can take from it. Let's talk about this. And instead, it's literally just like, yeah, so they were doing that too, but, like, that's not really relevant to what we do. Um, So let's get back to... Yeah, and, you know, I think even, like, when you see, like, theater classes and, like, history classes going on, a lot of times as the... Uh, history gets more and more modern you get more and more focused on like wherever you're at at least mm-hmm. experience. like they'll start out really broad with ancient history so then you'll start to learn about some ancient things like yeah and also I feel like when you have that sort of education like we had you don't know about things like physical theater like mm-hmm. a lot for example no is a very physical theater like you don't learn about physical theater dance theater um things that you know I feel like at least we weren't really given the toys tools there. Like you could either do Meisner or Uta Hagen or Chekhov, which are all just, you know, branches of the same thing, but like not 
physical theater, not learning like oh, 100% Suzuki or whatever. What's so, yeah, I, there was also another, I, I'm starting to remember so many things from my childhood. Now, like when I went to Westminster Choir College, which was connected to our university, um, but <laughs> it was separate. Like I used to go to their classical music, like theater camps and stuff when I was young and, and opera, like I would sing opera there. And um, we had this class that literally all of the kids hated because they had never been exposed to it. And they were like, what is this? I hate this. Um, but we would have a lot of movement classes because you know, in classical music, they work so much on like your body alignment and getting in touch with your body. And there was one teacher who would teach us this method of walking that I think is used in Bunraku. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Theater, I could be wrong about it, but I think from what I remember, and it was learning how to walk like incredibly slow because there were these effects used of like using movement and using like changing the way that you interact with physical space mixed with um, moving sets and to create like distance to create time like to do all of these really really cool things and I like fell in love with it and I would get so mad because all of the kids would be like this is stupid I don't want to roll around on the ground really slow but it was really incredible like I had never thought to manipulate my body in that way before learning that and that is what like we miss out on a mm-hmm. lot of the time yeah what yeah. is is um tell me about your trauma our theater education was based in like emotional work Mm -hmm. and then like I do remember there being a lot of body work but but not in that sense not learning how to like literally use your body as a tool and use it to like manipulate perception and that is so something you see so often in Asian traditional theater. I feel like that theater program that will be left nameless um you know, through this research that I'm doing, I'm like, I could give you so much new courses. Like, aren't they're trying to push for us to be there for as long as possible. Like, you just need to split up theater history more. Have a theater history class about Asian theater history. Give us an entire semester of it. Ireland should teach. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, and it, like, it really like, for anybody out there thinking about these things, I just, I had an incredible theater teacher, theater history teacher for my second semester of theater history, like when, when it did get more modern. And I do think that she was operating from like a, a pretty narrow perspective herself and like not mm-hmm. branching out enough um, at all. However, her storytelling and her ability to like pack so much into the narrative, like made me so excited about theater history that it like very much inspired this show. So mm-hmm. like there is such a power to actually teaching this stuff correctly and going even further than she did and like really being able to tell the narrative of like everything that influences theater today and like where we get so much stuff because that's the other thing too is like you know kabuki like bunraku like people vaguely know these names because there is so much influence in what we do now in the sets that we use and the makeup that we use um in the dancing that we do from Asian theater that like people just don't even uh, register Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think that's also a really good point of like we we've taken from Asian theater and we don't even realize it because that's kind of what 
point theater likes to do. Um, we like to take the really exciting, a, a word that I kept seeing when I was doing this research was like exotic and like exoticism and like all about like how, you know, it, it, it was critiquing, you know, it was saying that these shows choose to be based in Asian countries, not because they actually like cared about telling these stories, but because it was exotic. Um, Oh wow! How yeah. familiar does that sound? <laughs> it was like hmm, yeah. interesting. Yes. No, one thousand percent. Like I like. I, so there's all this stuff like that we don't know and that we don't get educated on with Asian history, right? And, and with Asian theater history, and I think like one of them is like Yellowface. Yeah, I mean, one of the earliest known performances um, of Yellowface was called "An Orphan in China." in 1767 um and something that they were doing with yellow face was typically um these white actors who were you know pretending to be asian would all be like villains and it was intentionally like villainizing all asian people um and then our lovely friend this made my blood boil um i just i don't know why Asian American actors are nice. I don't know. They have so many reasons to be angry. And I'm not <laughs> angry all the time. I think that there's so much rage that is warranted because so um, D.W. Griffith is somebody that a lot of us know of because of his movie, The Birth of a Nation. And that movie is extremely racist. It was like the first movie ever made. And of course it's tainted with all this racism, um, specifically charged specifically. I've always heard it about blackface um, and, and how it demonizes black people. I've obviously never watched this movie because who would want to watch that? So lucky. I minored in film and I had to, I had to watch it. No, I had no idea that there was also yellow face that took place in that movie um yo what's going on with dw griffith what's what is up with this man like i feel like we see that like so often like like can, he don't quit yeah like you can trace so much propaganda and so much fear-mongering that will take place in like a generation to like one to five people yeah, you like, know what I mean? like that they and, and then people who are like looking for scapegoats and looking for places to put their fear, they just glom on to this stuff and then it becomes widely popular and then it becomes so popular that it that just becomes integrated into the way that we think and nobody even realizes anymore. I guarantee you, like when you break down like what the the racist and prejudiced and like, you know, fear uh, that a lot of white people have of black people, those images can be traced to this movie mm -hmm. so much. And and most of those people don't even really maybe know what this movie is. Uh -huh. I, I would argue a lot of the people who have these like biases so deeply embedded in them aren't really film people. A lot of them are just people living who have no idea where these stereotypes have come from. And it's literally a movie written by this asshole who clearly just hated everyone. It's not like- We saw that in our um, our episode about eating disorders in the industry too, because mm -hmm. we're looking at like, where do these crazy body stereotypes come from? And again, like this, this image that we all kind of have of the perfect woman, 
most of it and the way that we think of it came down to this one drawing by this one dude who didn't like women who were part of the suffragette movement. So he did it as like revenge. And so you like, we see this stuff like time and time again with like people in power, like putting out these narratives that then get so embedded into just like the way that people think. And I, I, I think that's even more so when it, it's a group that we don't often think about as being marginalized and being targeted. And I think that's definitely the case with Asian people mm-hmm. in the United States. Yeah, um, I, I've been thinking and talking about this a lot recently with a lot of people I know about how it's kind of really strange to be um, specifically an Asian American. I'm speaking from my own experiences because you're because of things like the model minority myth, which was basically just created so that way, um, really to further white supremacy because um, white people at the time, white supremacists at the time, were using how successful Asians in America were um, were becoming against black folks in America and saying, mm-hmm. oh, well, they're doing this, so why can't you do that? Which in turn created a lot of animosity between the two communities. And aside from that, there's also a super long history of anti-Blackness in Asian cultures. Um, Colorism is very prevalent. um, But, and all of that has just sort of led to a a weird, very strange disconnect between the two communities now. Um, And it's been really hard to navigate because it's almost like I personally don't want to take up space too much space um, talking about specifically Asian American issues when I realize that there are a lot of other issues in the world. And I'm never trying to play the oppression Olympics. That's not fun. No one wins with that. But it's you almost feel like you have to be silent and you just have to take all of this because you feel like I can't bring this up. <laughs> I read this article I and it said that Asians are in a very interesting we we kind of operate in a limbo where we are both um, oppressor and oppressed um, because we live in that model minority myth. Um, I feel like Asian Americans are like the most gaslit minority from what I was learning about all of this. It just, it seems like there's, so, it's so complex. There's so many layers to this. And it's like, I never hear Asian Americans like really fighting and really like stating that they feel wronged when like they clearly have been wronged but they've been put in almost to this position where like if they were to say that then like you're so ungrateful because look at how badly we could have treated you and it's just this like such a warped construct that's been created and I think it comes down to that kind of like model minority myth that there is of just like making Asian voices feel like they have to be silenced because if they aren't then they risk being treated as poorly as other minorities or those minorities can lash out at them because they've been treated better and it's just it's so messed up like it's so messed up yeah it's just another another example of like class being weaponized you know like putting people into levels and then leaving them to fight out like which of those levels are better than the others yeah Um, skin color definitely comes into play like asians come in all shapes with all kinds of 
skin colors, features, uh, like I'm East Asian, I could look different from someone who's Southeast Asian, but I could also look very similar to someone who's Southeast Asian, mm -hmm. um, different from South Asian, um, different, different from West Asian slash North African, because that is also part of like Pan Asia. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yeah, so, we were actually just talking in my world geography class the other day about um, continents, which just sounds like such a boring topic. But I mean, people don't know that like, depending on where you're educated, you may learn that there are six continents instead of seven, because the separation between um, Europe and Asia, which in other places is known as Eurasia, which I know people have heard of, um, is like mostly cultural um and think about that like continent something that we're taught is like a very like clearly scientific like very physically based definition and then we just kind of skip over the fact that like Europe and Asia are not separated by any water <laughs> like, yeah, I that, um there are just some some real Chinese Russian people out there mm -hmm. <laughs> like Siberia like something you guys were saying earlier about like the the struggle for Asian Americans being kind of invisible I'll never forget like being in a museum in DC with my mom she would take me to all these there's a bunch of these like museums here that are like a house and it's like dedicated to like one person's art or like one subject that's very tiny and we go into this place and it's about um Asian concentration camps and I was like 11 and I was like wait like what's going on here? Like, what are we, what is this talking about right now? Mm -hmm. My mom was like explaining to me um, the camps that took place in World War II. And I was like, yep, what? Camps. <laughs> like literally what? And it was so, it was, it was like a dissociating moment for me that I still remember very clearly, even though I was a kid, because I was just like, have I, did I just not get to this part in education yet? In our first episode, it is very briefly touched on that I have an estranged relationship with Brecht. And that comes from this experience solely. The reason I hate Brecht is because of what I was a part of in regards to Brecht. Um, with Yellowface, which we were talking about, you know, up until the late 2000s, um, there was really no public outcry about it. And then Yellowface kind of transitioned into just whitewashing of, you know, they wouldn't make the white actor look Asian. They would just have the Asian role played by a white person and be like, it's okay because, just because, um, <laughs> don't think about it too much. And that's what happened at our university. Um, our school did The Good Person of Szechuan, which is a play by a German man named Brecht who knew nothing about China and we had potentially five Asian people in the entire fine and performing arts program. If you were a performing arts student you were expected to audition for every show that was mm -hmm. put on in the main stage which is very common with um, schools but it was pretty strict with us if you didn't show up for an audition if you didn't show up for a callback you know you threatened getting kicked out of the program. They, um, and they were going to kill your family pretty much was the way it was <laughs> it was like you would watch everyone you love die <laughs> and you had to accept any role that was offered to you because performing in main stage productions was again common in 
uh, programs like that, but it was required for you to graduate, or at least that's what we were told. Oh, oh, oh it wasn't. <laughs> at least that's what we were told. So they come out with this show that we're all expected to audition for. There's no notice because every once in a while, if they did, like when they did one, um, Once on this Island, they were like, we don't need white people to audition for this. I guess you I thought they would do with good person. I expect yeah, we were waiting. We were like, so where's the notice about don't audition for this? And it never came. And we were like, it was like, a, like a few Instead, days before. We're all I, getting, like, Do I have to have a monologue. <laughs> Instead, we were all, you know, getting emails being like, you didn't sign up for your audition slot yet. What's going on with that? And we're like, oh, I, I have to. And I, I was convinced. I was like, wow. Mind you, we were sophomores at this point. So I didn't really know Amy, but I was like, wow. Amy must be phenomenal if we are doing this show for her. Like, we're about to have Amy come out here with like the four other Asian actors we have in this program. And Tony award-winning performance. <laughs> and we have to go through this audition process, which is a little bit sus, but whatever. They're just having us practice the experience. So we go to this audition. We do the audition and Aaron and I were like, got that over with just another, you know, audition kind of workshop practice and we were like well clearly we're not getting called back let's hop on the train and go to New York for the weekend needed out we had this whole crazy experience where we were on this we missed a train and then we were waiting and then we got into an altercation with someone it was a whole thing uh but so we don't we end up not getting to New York until like 1 30 in the morning mm -hmm. um but we're on the train to New York at like 11 and we both get an email like 30 minutes into the trip that says that we have to report back the next day to the theater for our callbacks for the following roles for the good person of Szechuan as we're headed two hours away to another city. And we were just like- I was like, this is excessive. Is this a fever dream? This is excessive <laughs> to have us go this far just for Amy to practice having competition for a role. I'm still- yeah, we were still in denial. Amy. Listeners, this is not a visual medium, but you didn't see how hard I just laughed when Ireland and Aaron were suggesting that that school would ever do a show for me. <laughs> for reasons I will get to later, I'm sure, but I was not well-liked, in yeah. short. Which it we just didn't. We went to this callback. I'm walking in there being like, my name is Ireland of all things. Like they can't even put me in the playbill. <laughs> you can't put my name in here. You can't have that title with the name Ireland. That makes zero sense. Oh, but wait. And and then, you know, the cast list went out and it was, I, I want to say 80% white. I think if you're being really generous. We had... One person who okay. was Asian and then two people who were half Asian in the cast. Um, and they tried to convince us that, you know, it would be very um, progressive in some way. Because and, like this whole time, like there's outcry happening. Yes. We're all very confused, dissociating this whole process. We we're like kids crying because they got a part not in a good way but because they're like my life is over like i'm ruined i'm done for it and for some of them they really just took that and rode that bike until the wheels fell off and by the wheels fell off i meant i made their friends dm them to take that off of their resume on their website because yeah. that's not a good look 
not a good look, not a good look at all. Um, and, and you were also go, you and a number of people were going through processes, like trying to like bring to their attention, what we all thought all thought was already extremely obvious that we were all deeply offended. Uh-huh. Yeah. I remember when, um, we got that email from our program head that was like, Hey, um, we're doing this show. Here's the script. Um, and like, here's a side note, like it was all the way at the very bottom there. Like we're trying to make this a very worldly view of this production. So we're going to cast it Hamilton style. And I was like, clearly you have no idea what the point of Hamilton was, if this is what you think you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I immediately emailed, I immediately emailed our program head at the time. And I was like, what's going on? Um, how, like, I was like, uh, you know, According to my research, we have about four people, four Asian people, two of which are freshmen who cannot audition mm-hmm. because we, our policy was like first semester freshmen can't audition. And I, th- I believe we had two, um, two Asian freshmen who could not and had to sit there and watch it. They both left. Good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I was like, yeah, how are we going to do this? And then I got, you know, while we're going to Hamilton it and also there's a production done in Chicago where they were able to set it in a different place and I was like okay he was like this isn't going to be China and I was like okay and then you know went through the audition process (laughs) um got a call back it was like me and 11 white women and I was like (laughs) I was like but here's the thing already at that point it was my senior year so I already knew I was like I'm not getting this I knew I wasn't getting it. I knew there was not a shot. I didn't have a shot at Which that. Which is insane because we thought, we literally thought the only possibility was that you would be cast as like the lead because we were just like, I mean. I mean, we were trying to no other so, thing that they could do. Yeah, we were so lost in the sauce of believing that, you know, like it can't all be bad. And when we it, saw, it, it wasn't like we, we thought when we didn't see you there and then when we didn't see a couple other people there we found out that they just didn't come to the audition we realized that like we should have not gone to the audition but being gaslighted in that environment and being young you know like we fully just kind of thought that like that unfortunate thing that we sometimes get caught up in of like this is just how it is and I guess I have to do it Mm -hmm. and it was like realization while we were in the dressing room of like my god we should not have come back for this like we should not be here like oh my god and then it got worse yeah and also I I distinctly remember that audition um because we were forced to I didn't want to but like I had these two things battling in my mind on I was like on one hand I would literally rather die than ever be anywhere near this production number two I will be the sacrificial lamb if that means that there is one less person who isn't Asian in this, I will take this bullet. Um, but you were like, please don't cast me, but also please God, don't cast anyone else. Literally, I was like, is there any way to stop this? And then um, I distinctly remember someone who um, was not Asian and I would name her name, um, but I don't know if this is that kind of podcast. I definitely was at the audition looking like this. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Like I had just handed my my headshot and resume to the stage manager and I was just like in the corner, pissed. And she was like, hey Amy, what's wrong? And I was like, <laughs> she was like, well, did you see what the playwright said about this? And I said, what is Bertolt Brecht gonna tell me about China? What's he gotta tell me? 
what is he gonna tell me? <laughs> that we eat rice? Well, and then I wasn't cast in it. <laughs> but I was working on another show uh, in, in Philly at the time. And uh, so I was not cast in that. Um, so that was, that was a fun, funky, fresh time. Um, so oh, a lot of my friends were, and I also wanted to point out that a lot of the other um, BIPOC folks who were cast in the show um, were cast as roles such as old prostitute, mm -hmm. prostitute, unemployed man, to name a few. Yeah. 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 It was a full mess, like from start to finish. The music, I found out after the fact that the reason that I was brought in to play the harp for the music was because they wanted it to sound more oriental. And that was like the word used. And I was like, no, we were so caught off guard mm -hmm. because of that privilege that we had of just like not thinking about it. And then all of this unfolded. And as we were going through it, we were all like, wait, wait, no, wait, this, I don't think this is okay. Like this is not. And then after the fact being like, holy crap, none of that was okay. Like we just did a terrible thing. And it like, it's just embarrassing to think about. Mm -hmm. No, it's so embarrassing. It's so like traumatizing feeling, honestly. And I can't even imagine how that would be as someone who is a person of color because that's me as a white person saying that. I feel like it's straight up abusive and like disgusting that our school did that and like specifically to the Asian students who point blank like the program already was making the Asian actors feel bad about themselves making them feel shitty making them feel like they didn't have a space in the school and then to like take that one step further like what is wrong with you that was not the only instance mm -mm. of no um you know like Asian. the iceberg mm -hmm. yes exactly and like the things that you would go through like that you would then talk about in our voice class sometimes because that was one of the only safe spaces that we had and like for our voice teacher to just keep reminding us that like this was not normal and that like we had every right to be stressed out by this place like that was so great and but I just remember the conversations that we would have and they were frequently about what you were going through and how much you disliked the professors oh yeah and also i remember when i found out at one point where um when in the good person someone was like there's a gong noise at the top of the show and i was like that's it <laughs> it that is i was like you could have gone out in full jonathan price yellow face and i would have been not great it would have been not great but if you put a gong sound in anything when you never had to that was it the soundtrack, the the Mulan. The Mulan level soundtrack that we had at the top of that show was something that literally stopped everyone in their tracks of like, we're doing this because there had been so many conversations that tried to, in a roundabout way, make it okay of being like, trust me, we're taking it in a different direction. Trust me, the costumes are going in a different direction. We're revamping this idea. Think of it as like, you're an acting troupe, you know, using the theater history that we, the very little theater history we knew as like a way to manipulate us of being like, you know, these troops, they would put on roles like this. They would do things like this. All the actors who've done this show thus far, they were white too, like you're okay. And then, like, Tech Week comes around and all of those just, like, disappear. And suddenly it feels like they're like, we never said that. 
I no. also love the idea that um that we were that that program was so absolutely wild that white people were telling white people yeah it's totally cool to just whitewash all of this and they're like okay I remember a lot of people who are in the show told me they kept saying it wasn't gonna be about China but but then but then my costume I'm literally I'm literally wearing a chung sum I'm literally in a hanfu I'm literally wearing a rice paddy hat just kidding there was there were no rice paddy hats that's where they drew the line instead they used a bowler hat mm-hmm. there's a line um but the line apparently wasn't far enough where they couldn't stop the chinese symbols appearing on the set that said snot like they did not <laughs> finding out like ireland talks about the experience of finding out after the fact that like there even was like there actually was a version of this show that could have gone so much differently mm-hmm. when i found out that there was like a good person of chicago or whatever i cried i cried <laughs> because i was like why did they do that to all of these yeah. I, that's I, what they sent me when they said it's fine amy that's what they sent me they sent me that article i i don't understand it just all around feels like it wasn't even like underhanded abuse it wasn't just like a little bit cruel like it was so outright aggressively mean to like everyone because I was gonna like, say aggressively ignorant like they yeah. fully just ignored everything that people tried to tell them and then just made like I, I'm I guess I'm giving them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt assuming that they were dumb choices and done out, born out of like complete stupidity rather than like oh, they really were the other option would be severe malicious like oh. sociopath. <laughs> Like, the only other option is that, like, they wanted to viciously hurt all of their Asian students and then take all of the students that they did put in the production and be like, you can never have this on your resume. Also, this will haunt you for the rest of your life. I don't even think anyone told anyone to not put it on their resume except for me. Oh my god, no, yeah. Because some people, like like the person who played the lead in that production and the person who played the other lead in that production had those roles on their resume until i want to say june which was when i said you know what someone reach out to them because i'm not friends with them but tell them to take that off if they ever want to work because i had to have a resume specifically for the school i had it on that one never it never got on my actual resume and i will spend the rest of my life apologizing for it anytime anyone wants to bring it up to me anyone can anyone can call me out i'm an awful human being people can slap me across the face like i deserve it because i was in a horrible production that i do hold my college responsible for putting me in um it's just an example it's just a great example of how like this stuff is not just like in a historical context Mm -mm. you know like I think that like looking at the history of being an Asian in America um it is important because it helps you understand where the aggression comes from but it's still happening that happened in 2017 am I right about that fall of 2017 if anyone's if anyone wants to go online and see which schools at the time were producing that production. Mm-hmm. If it's this idea of like, well, I don't see it. That's exactly what we're talking about. You've never seen it. Like it's never been really an extremely visible um, 
piece of prejudice. It's something we ignore largely, which is, again, I think really does relate back to the, what you guys were talking about earlier with this kind of model minority status um, that's been kind of concocted. It, it puts people in a really precarious situation where they're asked to like benefit off of a system in order to like not be targeted in the same way. But COVID, I mean, really, really kind of shattered that to pieces. Yeah. Sometimes in public, I'm like, did this person walk away? Did this person just like shimmy away from me because you should social distance you because I'm Asian. Oh my God, I will never forget. I was literally walking in DC. I was walking with my roommate. I was walking behind somebody that I that I know um, from the theater department at this school. And Corona was kind of ha- happening. It was like maybe March, like right before we left. So probably a year ago, exactly. And I'm like walking behind this person who is yelling on his phone about how like, of course this this disease comes from China because they're dirty and because like just the most racist things I have ever like directly heard that. And I don't know that I have ever really actually heard people talk about Asians in that way. And that was kind of a wake up call for me, I think. COVID has done that kind of for a lot of people. It's opened up our eyes to things that, again, I think we had like the privilege to ignore um, and that people were probably less comfortable saying out loud when they didn't have something more direct to put their anger onto. Yeah, these beliefs like that you would think were so were so past, they really come right back out the second that something new happens. Like, like with um with covid mm-hmm. and with um the death of the murder of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd like then you get to these really old archaic racist beliefs yeah. yep and you're like um, why yeah and also i, mean, I want to go back on what um what Aaron was saying about you know giving giving the program the benefit of the doubt and, and that they were just stupid i won't give them the, the benefit of the doubt but i do know that they were stupid because i did go to them several times to say <laughs> right. um what's happening because i remember um once people once the costume fittings had happened and everyone was like oh no i think i think maybe this this isn't right i was like i went up to our lead um like our, our head of our program and i was like What's going on? I remember I had my scooter because I used to scoot around campus. <laughs> I remember in his office because I I would go to his office every day to see if he was in there, <laughs> like me holding onto the handlebars of my scooter. Like, I'm sorry, could you just tell me what's going on here? And then um, it was like, well, I can't stop the production now. And I was like, I mean, you could. We, right. we could. There we were could. other situations that I can think of productions were almost pulled because of other you know like like crisis issues that were going on so like it's not like it wasn't possible yeah it's definitely something that could have happened but then but then um that is when the head of the department pulled out his cell phone and showed me a picture of him with um a large group of asian people that i don't know what his relation to them was doesn't matter but said i don't know what this means to you but i'm on your side yeah i was like this is this is neoliberalism at its core 
um, actively. Yeah, that's some get out shit. This is like you are weaponizing these people that I have no idea who they are in order to manipulate me into thinking that you actually care about me. Um, So that was really weird. And then I was like, I think I I left. I couldn't say anything because I don't know what you're supposed to say. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what you're supposed to say. There's not really a, there's not a care and keeping of you um, guide sort of to go with that. There's not a, chicken soup for the um racist soul like that. um yeah I mean and like I do remember like I think it's something I've seen a lot of people go through after leaving that place because of a lot of the things that we went through um but specifically with you like I do see like how much not being there has helped you feel better being in toxic environments is uh taxing you know and like I know what kind of weight that is from a lot of different experiences like our shared one at college being one of them um and then you add even more weight on because you're also factoring in being discriminated against being stereotyped being ignored gaslighted about your own ethnicity and about like the struggles that you're going through and like I can just empathize with how much more weight that adds to what we were already dealing with and like it's hard to function Mm-hmm. yeah I actually I remember towards my senior year we would have these like absolute like jam sessions of just emotional like release with uh all of my friends who are like BIPOC where we would just yell about all of the racist things and then just like for like several hours and then you'd feel okay a little bit but then <laughs> then you'd wake up the next morning and still feel bad again. But I mean, I think I learned very quickly. And I think this goes for a lot of um, BIPOC folks who are going into any institution um, of higher learning, like whether it be for performing arts or anything, you learn very quickly that the only thing that um, most people are interested is hearing about your trauma. Like I remember one of the first things I like randomly shared a fact about me being like adopted from China in a class and everyone became really fixated on that. And something that I had just, is just, you know, part of my experience, it's not something I think about, became so like such a huge topic of interest for everyone. And everyone was like, basically treated me like I was an exotic animal, uh, air quotes, finger quotes. It's honestly something I think like Ireland and I will worry about sometimes with wanting to have these kinds of conversations because like we want them to be in public and we want people to listen to them and be like, oh, I need to think about these things. But it's also like, you know, it it can be extractionary, I think, in some ways to do that. And I think that we tried our best to figure out how to do that less. But I think that's just like the nature of it Mm -hmm. sometimes. And I think and it's so easy to just make it so much worse, you know, (laughs) it's, it's something you actively, I think, have to do if you want to have, like, healthy conversations about this kind of stuff, like, there's a way to do it, and, and at least attempt to do it, and if you're not making that effort, it is so easy to do it wrong, and to just try and, like, take things from people, because, like, you find it interesting, or, like, that's not what it's about, it's not about it's interesting to you, it's not about it's, like, fetishized to you, it's about, like, how do we identify like what the core problems are and like direct action that we can take in our own behavior to move forward and maybe have it be different? 
it sucks trying to do this stuff with no budget, you know, cause you just have to like, which is why we reached out to our friends initially. Cause we were just like, okay, let's at least reach out to people that we have a relationship with. And cause I do worry about that, about like taking from people, you know, like that is definitely like, I mean, I agreed to this. Like it's something I think I'm yeah. far removed from now, but I know that talking about it too much. And at the time I was like, this is not good for me. If I yes. think about it too much, I need, I will literally destroy myself. So it's really only now that I can talk about it, but um, uh, no, I get get it. But like, this is the last time for free. It was honestly something we even had to consider like with ourselves doing our um, eating disorder episode because we both had personal experience with that stuff where we then had to ask that same question, like, should we be taking this from ourselves? And it was triggering. Like I definitely had to recover for a little bit after having that conversation. So I like understand that feeling and like it, it is of great importance to me to know like if we ever do like cross any lines with any of our guests or anything because it's like I just I it hurts me to my core to think about doing that <laughs> to you to anybody yeah I also think now it's a lot easier to talk about like besides time is that I get to work with so many like lovely Asian theater right. artists nowadays which was why it was so great to hear that you are getting to do so many projects that relate exactly to these topics, specifically accomplish the goals that you've been trying to work towards for like a really long time. We can talk about this stuff, not only in the context of what you went through and what we saw and, and experienced ourselves, but then also what you've been able to do since then and how being in different environments is different. And like being intentional about the way you tell stories does matter. And it does produce better art that you now get to be part of. I love your princess business. Like that's such a perfect, I think that's a very like understandable example for people. It's like all these white women in the South who like love Jesus, but also hate gays that love the mouse. And they're like, if I see an Ariel with brown eyes, I will kill you. In the same breath that they're like, if I see an Elsa, with dark eyebrows, I will literally throw up, but also I have one slightly brown girl and I will make her play every single like princess of color ever in the same breath. That's it's so wild. Honestly, that's been taking up most of my <laughs> most of my emotional labors these days. I just I guess like I love fighting um the racist white ladies over Facebook. <laughs> People think that inclusivity and diversity means complicated you know like that's what they think and so then they make it extremely complicated instead of just like taking a step back and that actually maybe the solution is it's a lot simpler than you think (laughs) yeah I'm like are you painting your kid brown (laughs) fine something that was Um, to me recently that was very shocking about how white people are going to become the minority and that should be very scary to me and I was like so you already are minorities badly (laughs) I was like what are what are you trying to argue to me I was just like (laughs) men are too did you know that (laughs) that's my favorite part like when people talk about like majority stuff and like I'm like, well, women make up 56% of the United States. So let's talk about that. (laughs) Isn't it like 78% of the workforce as well? Oh, is it? I don't know. I haven't looked. Oh my God. Absolutely wrecked. Working women. (laughs) I was like, working girl. Who would have thought as I cry at my retail job? (laughs) That's why my back hurts so bad from carrying this fucking country. (laughs) 
I am this economy. I am capitalism. (laughs) Yo, but speaking of like being successful in this economy, like there have started to be more projects lately, a few um, that have really been about Asian representation. Yeah. Which has been really cool, at least to see from my perspective. Has it been exciting for you to see more projects popping up? Like off the top of my head, I'm thinking like, I hated the title, Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> yeah, there's so many, there's like such a huge debate about that in like yeah. the community. Cause some people, listen, I'm just trying to enjoy my movie personally. Right. I understand and I fully agree with everything that people say is problematic about that. And you know, with the with the um, Netflix reality TV show, um, Bling Empire, which can I just say is the best reality television program out there. I have been meaning to watch it. It's time. Oh my god, I want to watch it. Need to watch it. Um, the wealth is unreal. It is abs. And people are like, well, people forget how a lot of specifically Southeast Asian countries, like the poverty there, is insane. And I fully agree that is something that people um should concern themselves with because it's honestly really really sad but i'm just enjoying my shows right now something i hate is that any project that involves a misrepresented group it gets so much scrutiny from that group and others who are it's it's the neoliberalism um from people who are scrutinizing it that no one can enjoy it i'm like I can enjoy things that are still problematic. Y'all still like Disney. Y'all still like Wes Anderson movies. I totally agree. It's, something, it's a conversation I've had with a lot of older people in my life because I think it's something that they don't understand a lot of the time. Is like, the example that I'm thinking of is like, I've had a conversation about rap music and rap culture and, about, and especially specifically about female rap culture, which has kind of turned into something new lately. And I know a lot of older people, older white people, especially who really criticize that heavily. I mean, they find it to their words, exactly disgusting, which I think is interesting. (laughs) And the way that I've tried to explain to them, maybe why they should look at it in a different way is like, you don't get to tell people like what entry into pop culture looks like. Like you don't get to tell people who have been marginalized once they get the kind of backing and support that they need to become mainstream, that they somehow need to do what you've been doing, but better. Like, yeah, just because you were at the at the soda shop, just just really doing the doing the Charleston to <laughs> yakety yak does not mean that Megan the Stallion can't shake her ass and release songs like Big Old Freak. Mm-hmm. Oh, and like. And like that, that is like, if that is what rap wants to produce right now, like if that is how female rappers are entering into like the rap industry and like making a success of it, like let them do that. Like let them do that and celebrate that. And then if you want to talk about how we can move forward and about like how we can continue to evolve our society, like that's a whole new conversation, Mm -hmm. but like celebrate the steps that we take, you know, like, like leave space for that. And I think that that happens on like all sides of the spectrum when it comes to this kind of stuff, like the kind of judgment that goes on of like, well, you can do 
this now, but you need to do it the right way. And like, you can't do it the way that like rap, like male rappers were getting famous because like, we all know that that's disgusting now. And it's like, no, you don't get to do that. Like you don't get to keep like raising the bar because you're just making- A lot of them are like doing a lot of the same things that male rappers have done, but people are disgusted because they're women. Mm-hmm. exactly instead of having like the same instead of like the conversation that we had about male rappers where we were like hey guys like we really like your music but like let's create a dialogue where we make rap like a more inclusive space and it was like this whole thing and this whole ecosystem of conversations and instead of engaging in that conversation if you want to with female rappers it's like they're disgusting they shouldn't even be famous and it's like that's not that was not the way you reacted <laughs> That was not the way you reacted when Tupac and Jay-Z came onto the scene, like. I also think that a lot of the time people forget what, people forget the cause of this effect. So people forget the reason why we have things like rap culture. It's literally celebrating black culture, something that black people have not gotten to do, which is why I know something that is quite interesting to me is how a lot of Asians have really latched onto like rap and hip hop culture. Mm. Um, if you know about like Eddie Huang, who uh, yeah, yeah, like he in his in his book Fresh Off the Boat, which then turned into the TV show, he talks a lot about how interested in like hip hop culture because he recognized like this is how this group is like able to channel all of their angry anger and like turn it into joy and like right. and capitalize off of it, which they have every right to do. I remember my senior year of college, that's when it was the, uh, the Aziz Ansari thing was happening. Mm. But also, um, James, Fra- there was like a, a thing with James Franco at the same time too. The victim of James Franco or like victims didn't, you know, write a whole article about it. And I just feel like in addition to that article and Aziz Ansari being like a man of color, he got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of scrutiny from because of movies like Birth of a Nation, um, but also from, you know, other uh, other folks of color, other Asian people, other South Asian people who are like, you're supposed to represent us because we have so little representation and you're messing it up. Yes. Which I totally get, it's unfair, but it definitely is something that happens. But I mean- Also I really think- interesting too, cause like James Franco with that stuff, like I, you know, like no, very little has been said about that since then. And I remember that happening meanwhile, and he's done no work to address it. Meanwhile, like Aziz Ansari, like he went out of the public eye for a while and apologized and then came out with this stand-up routine that was almost entirely about that whole thing. And it was him like having like an inner monologue on stage basically. And a lot of it was really depressing. I thought it was a great special, but and it was really depressing. That's like his career is basically done. I don't think Aziz Ansari does anything. I think he's just going to be living off those uh, Parks and Rec residuals. And not to say that he should or shouldn't have been, um, you know, kind of castrated for that whole incident, but just the fact that he did all of that work to try and even remedy that situation, um, which to an extent I think he did. Like if you listen to the um, the stand-up, it's, it gets pretty intense and deep about how low he got because of all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, to compare that to that now James Franco, like I just, nothing's even, he's coming out with a new movie soon. Like I, yeah. <laughs> I was on a talk show. He's like, hey everybody. I'm like, oh my God, are they going to talk about it? No, like. Yeah. But like, I remember the joy of seeing things like Crazy Rich Asians. It was like what the first Hollywood um, film to have like a majority Asian cast yeah. produced in like 25 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like 
longer than I had been alive at the time. Still not. I'm like, it's still older than me. Very <laughs> you young. can also you um, can also see like the direct line kind of between like the things that like grassroots people and actors and performers have been doing, like working really hard to get Asian representation that have led to stuff like that. Because there's like a pool of a lot of Asian writers and directors mm -hmm. and um, comedians who have been supporting each other for a long time. And it goes back, like, I think um, we did a little bit of research into like the National Asian American Theater Company, which was fighting a lot in the nineties for more Asian representation. And, um, you know, Always Be My Maybe, which was such a cute show, which such a cute movie, loved that. Um, direct result of that network. Yeah, Ali Wong, I love you so much. I love Ali Wong. So Literally, much. Ali- I love you, Ali Wong. <laughs> her, Ireland and I used to watch her comedy special on that was on Netflix. Like, was it Baby Cobra or is that the second one? Baby no. Cobra is the first one. Second one is Hard Knock Wife. We were watching Baby Cobra. Third one on its way soon is Milk and Money. Oh my God, that's um, so exciting. Literally, we would watch that like- Cobra memorized to a degree. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. One second. No. Oh my God. This is my oh. signed Ali Wong poster of Baby Cobra. It says Trap His Ass. Um, this is another poster that says Colonize the Colonizer. Um, so you're a fan <laughs> I'm obsessed with her she's amazing for so many reasons too you know it is really empowering and incredible like to see people like her who you know she's both an Asian comedian and a woman comedian and a woman's I mean, mother mm -hmm. yes exactly like all of those things it's just and then to be a writer and to be an actress and to do all that, like, it, it's just incredible. I literally love her yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, I remember in college when like Baby Cobra was singing, I was like, you remind me of Ali Wong. And I was like, I know it's just it's you being racist, but I'll take it because <laughs> okay. I want that for me. Okay? I don't like that, but I like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I know why. And I will be getting a pair of red glasses soon. <laughs> Oh yeah, she the way that she described um uh like Asian women living out in California married to uh, like skater bros who wear like vans um it's literally my brother and my sister-in-law yeah, <laughs> on a mattress in a kitchen <laughs> it was also why I do not date men who don't have beds as a rule but I guess I think that's a great rule. Have a bed until we moved in together, and then that's our bed now. So really, um, here we are. Yeah, but, that's I mean, so funny. Like, projects like Minari. I don't know if either of you have seen Minari, but I you can uh, go to like rent it, or I don't know if you still can, but on A twenty four, which I love A twenty four, Chef's Kiss at A twenty four. That story is so wonderful. And it um, also brings up something that I think is never really talked about with a lot of representation of uh, non-white people um, in like any sort of media, whether it be television, film, um, theater, is that a lot of the stories being told basically just capitalize off of that group suffering. <laughs> like for example, yes. if you think of musical theater, Miss Saigon, the Vietnam War. Yikes. Such a terrible, terrible story. I just, can we all like acknowledge the fact that Miss Saigon is about the terrible trend 
that happened during the Vietnamese War, where white soldiers were frequently having families with Vietnamese women and then just deucing out, never yeah. and to be seen again. I mean, like, and that's what that story is about. And it's supposed to be a romance. And it's just like, I'm sorry, what? It was never a romance from 17. The, the fact that the two leads who are, you know, supposed to be Asian, um, the one is a girl who is forced into prostitution because what else can she do? And the other is a pimp who talks about how much he wishes he wasn't wasn't Asian. Like his yeah. whole thing is like, I wish I was an American. That's that's and that's the like modern American representation. Dream. That is the example that like every Asian actor and actress is pointed towards of like this is the show you can be in. Like this is it. And then on a more like minute scale but still plays into harmful stereotype shows like 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee which is they never actually say well they say that Jesus is Asian but they never say the word that Marcy is Asian even though her last name is Park and I can't believe how many productions I've seen where they whitewash that character was very very clearly supposed to be an Asian character who was cracking under the pressure but like living living under that model minority stereotype, I'm like, why are these all the options? Mm-hmm. Why? But yeah. um, you know, and you could say the same for stories like every movie, like Oscar bait, quote unquote Oscar bait for like black actors is playing us an enslaved person. Like mm-hmm. that should not be. You shouldn't have to go through all of that emotionally just to get recognition as a good artist. And it's absolutely ridiculous, which is something that I really appreciate about Minari because it's a story about a family, um, like the parents are immigrants and their kids are first generation. And obviously they experience racism and like xenophobia that comes with immigrating, but it's really a story about like finding home, like Mm -hmm. in this new place. And it's, it doesn't like, it's not like just like milking all of their trauma. It's a really lovely story about a family. And um, you should definitely check it out if it's still like streaming on A24. But I was able to get it because you could like purchase a screening window time. Yeah. And I think that that's really what like starts to be exciting when we're talking about like better representation is when the representation moves past like this kind of like capitalizing off of trauma situation like with um even like the headlands which um was a um lincoln center production that they they specifically said exactly what you just said um the the fact that it's an asian american family that's going through life and not going through being asian is not i shouldn't really say that not 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 going through being through asian but that it's 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 not the story the story yes the the focus of the story is not the fact that they're asian and i think that that's even um one of the i think like the biggest moments for me at least in representation recently was parasite i mean winning Mm -hmm. best movie i mean that that made me so emotional because it was just like that story was awarded because of the merit you know as it should have been and that was that was huge to me oh yeah and let me tell you i had such an interesting um experience seeing it in theaters i saw it twice in theaters i saw it once um with uh like the asian american um asian american film festival that they have in philly they like Mm -hmm. kind of joined up with um, papa so like the asian theater people and we all like saw it 
And seeing that film with all Asian people in the audience was such a different experience than when I saw it after it had been nominated for various Oscars with all old white people, people like who like didn't understand any of the jokes. Mm-hmm. The amount, the amount of references that they make, I mean, not only to Korean culture, but to a lot of different Asian culture at large, the way that even they set up a lot of the scenes to look a lot like um, anime and the way that manga is set up like in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that they referenced a couple of those things. I saw them reference a lot of, um, make a lot of spiritual and traditional references too. There was so much detail in that. And again, like, it was it was just such an incredible moment to see all of those things playing into that story and still not being the focus. You know, like these were all like incredible choices that were made and and nobody was focusing on the fact that it was all taking place in an Asian country or that it was all, you know, Asian people. Like there was so much greater gravity to it than just like, yay, we made another film with all Asian cast. Mm -hmm. It was like, this could have only been created by this director and it, it was just, it was just incredible like I was like that, that movie makes me speechless because I was I, I think I watched it like a million times Ireland can yeah definitely no, attest. I, I was obsessed I could watch it a million times and learn something new every time and every time every single time like it's just genius it's just so genius and like to not see that get um looked over and to see it celebrated like for its genius is just like that that was just a, I, I was just really proud to see that I felt like that was a huge step in a lot of ways mm-hmm. what would I'm interested Amy what would you like to be seeing change like we are having more options of representation you know you're getting the option to be in these shows that have representation but obviously we still have a lot more steps we need to take. Um, There's still a lot of growth that needs to be made. And I feel like so rarely we're given the chance to like voice what that is. Like, I know I was talking, we were talking with Alana and I think it was brought up the fact that like a lot of these minorities, like it's really just, they need the like white audiences to just like give them the funds and like let them do their work. And I, I think that that's definitely the case for Asian screenwriters, playwriters, producers, directors, and actors as well. I, I'm interested, like, do you think that there's anything else, like, we, like, what else you would like to be seeing change and done in the industry? Yeah, I think that um, in terms of, you know, right now, even though, some people are trying to focus on giving um like creatives of color like for example people behind the scenes like costume designers screenwriters Mm. cinematographers um these opportunities i think that what we need more people to do is um say you're say you're a, a white director and you're approached about doing you know not a white story um you really need to step up and say I well step down in this case you really need to say it's really because this like the culture is super important because then the only thing no matter what your intentions are like it's going to not be you could have Mm -hmm. you could have 87 like 
um, consultants on set, but it's still going to have your name attached. And it would just be better if you stepped down and gave someone else the opportunity because you're going to have opportunities. Other people of color don't get these opportunities every day. Right. Yeah. It's that kind of, we've, we've mentioned that before in other conversations is like, there is a level of, of the integrity to say no, that Mm -hmm. like has to be factored into these conversations. It's very hard to tell people, especially creatives who are, you know, are opportunities are few and far between for so many people. So the pressure being put on us is like as a as an entire industry and as as workers is, is really unfortunate um and it's hard to do and i definitely accept that um regardless there is still that level of integrity that has to be part of the conversation like looking back on our experiences and learning from our experiences with the good person of Szechuan and realizing like, we should have said no, we should have said no to that whole process. We should have said no to every single part of that. And that was a lesson well-learned. And I have a lot more faith in myself now, having had that experience Mm -hmm. that if I were to be approached again in that kind of situation, I wouldn't just take it to be like, this is how it is and realize like, this is an opportunity to say no and to set a standard for what's acceptable. Um, and we do have to start doing that more often as artists. And, and if you're not like willing to say no, like, no, there is like, say no, don't put yourself in the position to say yes. I would say like, if you don't think that you can turn down that role, then you can't even like you should not even let yourself consider it because like I mean white people and and I say this being somebody who is you know constantly reflecting and trying to be self-aware to make sure I don't do this but like white people don't know how to stay in their motherfucking lane like at all like we just like something something's not adding up and I think that it's just like one of those things where like with this pandemic with the fact that like everything shut down uh the people who I saw still being creative uh wasn't a lot of white people the people who were still trying to make art wasn't a lot of white people and I think that that says a lot about the fact that like white people have kind of just put themselves into this mindset within our industry of like we take and we don't give back and that needs to shift I think that there needs to start being more of this like you need to just step back as a white person. You need to realize that like, even if you yourself don't feel like you've done anything wrong, you probably have. Um, But even if you really are convinced that you haven't, you need to understand that you're a part of a side, like a society that has, you need to take some responsibility and like be willing to take a step back and like just kind of be there as like an extra set of hands of like, what do you need me to do? And if like, a person tells you like what you need to do is just literally remove yourself from that like just do it and you will find a way to do your own thing you'll be fine but like you just I think that there needs to be more of like accepting that like you might not be needed in a space is okay and like you might not have a space for yourself in certain situations and like that's okay and you need to be willing to accept that if that makes sense. No, that makes total sense. I actually have, after we're done recording, I have a story to tell you that is literally just this that was in like the Philly theater page. Mm-hmm. It was a whole mess. But also another another thing that I would like on a, on a selfish note is for casting calls that want Asian characters to, le- to like not 
to not have them be bilingual. Like, because, yeah. because every cast <laughs> call I see, first of all, it's either for like someone's grandma or someone's grandpa, because I, I see them all. And then it's like, hello. Is our dryer fixed? No, not yet. I'm probably going to go to the laundry mat to do my laundry. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm recording a podcast, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, but every casting call is like, I want, I want someone's grandma who's literally 80, and she only speaks Mandarin. And then <laughs> they're like, this character has to speak in this, like, in this Asian language. And I'm like, I just really wish that people knew that there is a difference between Asian and Asian American because, <laughs> because I, I, I can't help you with that. Yeah. You know how difficult Mandarin is to learn. <laughs> like, that is a very tonal language. One time I had to speak Cantonese for, um, for a play reading and Cantonese has three different tones. There's actually more, but like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I like you can do this, right? I, was like, <laughs> I mean, luckily it was all Asian people. And like a lot of the, like a couple of the other actors were like, I know Cantonese. And I was like, good, because I don't. <laughs> Teach me. <laughs> but but that's such a great experience then. Like, and that's exactly what, like, like being in that kind of space mm-hmm. where you're being asked to do that, surrounded by other Asian people who completely understand like what you're being asked to do is an entirely different experience than walking into a room where there's a bunch of white people and they're like so you know how to do this yes I can't you're like no yeah applied for things like like I've been like yeah I'm gonna submit a video and then like okay we'd like you to do this take in Mandarin and I'm like I don't advertise that I speak any other languages mm-hmm. on any on anything, any any resume, not on backstage. I don't understand what, just I mean, I know what makes you think. I know <laughs> what people assume, but like, but don't. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's right. A, yeah, stop asking. It just shows how people, how comfortable people are with the stereotype. You know, they just don't even think of it as a stereotype. They're like, no, of course. Like all, all Asian people speak Asian languages. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just they, like I feel like so many times when you try to bring that stuff up people are just like oh I had like I didn't like what like rude <laughs> um like whoa less exotic more panda express <laughs> <laughs> that's the terms they can understand it in <laughs> damn well this has been like really great Amy mm-hmm. um it's great just great yeah. to chat in general yeah so great to chat yeah like so nice to see you like it's mm-hmm. just really it's been really nice like with this and, and with a lot of other people we've talked to for this project like just getting to see our old friends and and check in and be like what are you up to and it's it is really exciting to see everybody kind of aging and and taking on new projects and actually getting to do a lot more of the stuff that they want to do and like it makes me very happy that you're getting just to do a lot more of what you want to do. Yes, absolutely. Tw- yeah. Like when people told me that my twenties were going to be wild, I think I did not understand their use of the word wild. I had a very different perception. I thought it was more like fun, less like having to unravel everything that I just spent all of my time learning to like yeah. have to like reconfront myself and then like heal trauma and then like 
try and like build my new identity like that wasn't what I thought they meant by wild I thought they meant that I was gonna get drunk more often than I do (laughs) I thought I was going to be chased by the cops (laughs) (laughs) I thought I was gonna be an outlaw running from the authorities and here I am in therapy (laughs) um yeah, well, thank you so much, Amy. I hope that this has been like a good conversation for everybody to listen to. And I, I hope that it's something people just start to think about more often. I think that's the best thing that we could do right now is even bringing people's attention to the fact that this is an issue. Because I think that this is just like not even on people's radar in so many ways. No, it really isn't. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful that you have created the space to talk about all of the toxic things that we have learned in school and that are in this industry yeah, yeah and just looking at at like how this goes back a long time and there is so much like rich culture that we are missing out on that we are not fully appreciating that could be and stories and voices that are not being told mm-hmm. or heard um and, and then it's just, it's really just not benefiting anybody, you know, like there's just so much more to, to, um, so much more to tell, you know, that I think needs to be told. So I hope people do start to listen. Mm-hmm. Any, any last thoughts from anybody else? Um, I would tell everyone to check out Amy because I feel like you are involved in so many projects always um, yes a model an actress like yeah. a performer I just so definitely check her out she's obviously going to be plugged on the Instagram but continue to check her out um to see the different projects that she's working on because I feel like you also the projects you choose to work on have all been really great projects with really great messages so I think it's the kind of stuff that we want to be supporting Thank you so yes. much. Um, the project I'm working on right now, I'm super excited about. I'm collaborating with um, one of my friends on writing a play called um, Vampires versus Chinese Cowboys, a Lone Lane Western. Um, because if, if you're not familiar with the history of spaghetti westerns, they're basically based on like samurai movies, like old mm-hmm. samurai movies. Um, so I wanted to um, write about that and explore a place called Chinatown, Texas. Um, and we'll kind of delve into the history of Chinatowns and why they came to be. So I'm super that excited is about that. Fantastic. Oh my God, I'm so excited. That's so great. Wow. Keep us updated on that. We'll plug anything and everything for you as much as you want. So thank you so thank much. You so and much. Yeah, this is, this is just the start of this conversation or at mm-hmm. least a contribution to it. So yay. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap this up. Dead artists. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> we still don't have an outro. Yeah. We still haven't really figured out how to close these things. Um, Rest in peace. peace. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>